All right, so we're at Genesis chapter 43, and you know something very interesting about the book of Genesis is uh, you can have one chapter in Genesis where it uh, you know covers major events with very little detail at all. For example, you know the creation of the world. You know it's just basically told in one chapter. Uh, you have 2,000 years of history covered in just the first 10 chapters of the book of Genesis. And there's just not a lot of detail when you're reading it. But then you get to later in the book of Genesis, and then you have the longest chapter in Genesis is just telling the story of how Isaac got Rebecca. And, and when we went through there, we saw some great examples of just a lot of spiritual truths that I think are there, some things that are symbolic. And uh, here in Genesis chapter 43 and most of these chapters, it's really just telling a story. You know, some chapters in the Bible, uh, it's like preaching, it's very deep doctrinally, uh, but th- some chapters like this, it's just a story. It's just telling us what happened, and it's an amazing story. I mean, this story of Joseph and how he got sold, and then how he ends up being reunited with his brothers and the way God worked this all out, it, it really is, I think it's just one of the most incredible stories in the Bible. I mean... It'd make a great movie. I, I know there are several Joseph movies out there, but um, it is, it's a fantastic story. And it's a, real, it's a real story, too, which is neat, something that God did. And so what we're going to do, though, in this chapter, because, um, you know, I'm not going to pretend I understand why God, Jesus, when Jesus preached on earth, he often spoke in parables, didn't he? He would tell stories as a way to get a spiritual message across. Now, why did he do that? Because... We like stories, don't we? I mean, little kids, they like hearing, they like stories. They like stories with a lot of details. And every kid likes the story of Joseph and how he had mean brothers. Because any kid that has older brothers, you know, can relate with Joseph in this. And they've all, you know, in their minds, they've suffered like Joseph, you know, at the hands of their older brethren and stuff. So, you know, kids love this stuff. And I believe God uses that too because it helps us retain these things better and learn how to apply these things better in our life. So what we're going to do, we're going to go through this story. And then uh, after after we go through the chapter, uh, I do want to uh, make a life application that hopefully will be a help. So verse one says, and the famine was sore in the land and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn, which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said to them, go again and buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him saying, the man did solemnly protest unto us saying, you shall not see my face except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, you shall not see my face except your brother be with you. So remember, they kept Simeon in prison. They were going to hold him there until they came back with the younger brother, Benjamin. And then what did Jacob do? He's just like, forget Simeon. I'm not taking a chance of losing Benjamin. And they just stayed there, I think, hoping that the famine was going to end before the food ran out. But you know what? That food they bought, it ran out. They ate it all up. And Jacob said, you guys are going to have to go back to Egypt. That's the only place there is to get any food. But then Judah reminds him, we cannot go back unless we take Benjamin. He told us we cannot go back. And so he basically tells his father, we're not going back unless we can take Benjamin. And I don't believe he was being defiant here. Judah was just laying out the facts that if we go back without our brother, we're all probably all going to get killed. So there'd be no point in us even doing it. And so in verse six, and Israel said, 
Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have ye another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words. Could we certainly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? And so Jacob's like, Why did you even tell him? And this is kind of like an argument between a husband and a wife, you know, because the wife is often, you know, she's often really good at being like Captain Hindsight, you know, and it's like, you know, like, you know, why did you do that? It's like, how was I supposed to know that was going to happen? So, you know, it's like you're driving home and a deer runs out in front of you and you hit it. It's like, you know, why did, why did you do that? You know, I don't know. I just, you know, why, why did you take a different way home? You know, I forgot to check the route the deer were taking that night to see, you know, where, you know, so sometimes you can't help things. Sometimes things just happen, right? Does that happen in anybody else's marriage? Or that's only, is that only in Brother Brian's? He was talking about that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I think we can all relate to that. And, and Jacob here, he did. He was just so worried about sending Benjamin that he is. He's getting mad at Judah for this, and it's not Judah's fault. They, there was no way they could have known. You know, when somebody like when a, uh, a leader comes and just is asking you point blank questions, you know, you have no idea what they're going to do with it. And so Jacob's just kind of throwing a fit here. So, but, um, but so, so, you know, he says, fine, we're going to go. And he tells him, you can bring your brother down. He, he allows him to do it. And I think that it was clear that, uh, Joseph, he used great wisdom in the way he dealt with his brothers because he was, I think he was dealing with them in a way to find out if they were honest, but yet in a way where he won't give himself away. That's what I think he, that's what I think he was doing because I think he wanted them to do this because he really wanted to see Benjamin. I think he really wanted to know if he was all right. That's why he's asking him these questions and he's doing all these things that he's doing because he wanted to see Benjamin and he didn't want to let him know who he was. And uh, he said, I, I can only guess and speculate why. But verse 8 says, And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except he had lingered, surely now we had returned the second time. So Judah right here, he's. I think this is one of the reasons Judah was kind of one that ended up being exalted. Whenever we see later, um, Jacob is kind of given the prophecies and he's blessing his children he talks about Judah, how he would be the one that his brothers would praise. Uh, and there's basically a messianic prophecy in there. And I think the reason that God ended up choosing Judah was because, you know, he did end up turning out to be the better one, even though he struggled in the past, because remember the story with Tamar. But we do kind of see a little more character here. And, uh, and so Judah, he's taken responsibility. And, you know, but at the same time, too, you know, we could say maybe, you know, was he being noble or was he just doing what was needed for survival? Because if he doesn't go down to Egypt, his family's going to starve. So, you know, it's, I, I, you know, I guess if you, uh, if you want, you can question his motives, but I do think he turned out better. I think he straightened out. Maybe God got a hold of his heart somewhere. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it says in verse 11, and their father Israel said unto them, if it must be so now, do this, take of the best fruits uh, in the land, in your vessels, and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds, and take double money in your hand, 
and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand. Peradventure, it was an oversight. Take also your brother, arise, go again unto the man, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother. And Benjamin, if I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So he's like, all right, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to do it right. Take him a present. Let's butter him up a little bit. Take double money. That way you can let them know, hey, we messed up. Here's your, you know, there was a mistake. Here's your money back. But then you also have money to buy more food too. So they're covering all their bases. They're trying to do everything they can to prove they were honest men because Joseph was kind of accusing them of being dishonest and being spies. And they're trying to show, you know, that that is not true. So verse 15, and the men took that present and they took double money in their hand and Benjamin and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the ruler of his house, bring these men home and slay and make ready for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph bade. Then the man brought the men into Joseph's house and the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time, are we brought in that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for uh, take us for bondmen and our asses. So notice that the brothers here are still expecting bad things to happen to themselves. You know, they're already, uh, you know, because remember last week when they were there, how they're thinking we're finally getting judged for what we did to Joseph. And so even now, even though they're trying to do everything they can to prove that they're honest, that they have, you know, no ulterior motives, they're still pretty nervous. Like they're just going to get in trouble because one, they, I think they thought this guy's out to get us, but two, maybe God's out to get us to judge us for what we did to our brothers. So they're feeling guilty. They're, uh, they're feeling scared. And, you know, how a person reacts to things or how they react to accusations, it says a lot about them, doesn't it? You know, people who are honest, hey, you know, bring on, you know, bring it on. Hey, if you, if I'm accused of something, what am I being accused of? You know, let me defend myself. Let me have my day in court. You know, that's what honest people do. You know, I just recently had a situation where a pastor called me about somebody who a lot of bad stuff has been said about this person. I didn't know if it was true or if it wasn't true. And so I told that pastor, I said, you know, I've always wondered what the deal was with this individual. I never had a chance to talk to him. And so I I told him, I said, just let him know. Just tell him, hey, I heard this about you. I need you to explain this to me. And I said, if he's innocent, he'll probably be anxious to defend himself. If he's guilty, he's probably going to run and never come back. And I told him too, and I said, and if he does, I said, tell him to call me. Because I've always wanted to know. And sure enough, you know, he responded immediately. He immediately, as soon as that pastor, uh, he emailed him, told him that, he called him up immediately, answering all his questions. And then he called me up, and I grilled him, man. I hammered him. I was like a prosecutor, you know, and just because just I wanted to know. And, and, he was anxious and willing to defend himself, even though he wasn't going to get anything from me. You know, that, that, that says a lot. That says a lot. But when people just want to hide and crawl under a rock and, you know, they don't want to answer for any of these things, that often makes them look bad. But, you know, these guys, the way they're acting, they weren't, they hadn't done anything, you know, to Egypt. You know, there was nothing that, you know, this, if, you know, as far as they know, this man who's right under Pharaoh, he had nothing to accuse these guys of. But at the same time, didn't they act guilty? They acted guilty in many ways. And it was because they were guilty of other things. 
And it was just bothering them. They were just convinced that God was going to judge them. And you know, I don't want to live that way. I said, I want to live looking for and expecting the blessings. That's how I want to live. But verse 19 says, And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house, and they communed with him at the door of the house, and said, Oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food. And it came to pass when we came to the inn that we opened our sacks, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight, and we have brought it again in our hand. And other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. And he said, Peace be to you, fear not. Your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money, and he brought Simeon out unto them. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their asses provender. I'm going to stop right here for a second, but I just think about these things when I read the Bible. But when Simeon got out of prison, the Bible doesn't tell us, but he had to have been his brothers. Where were you guys? I've been sitting in prison all this time. Why didn't you come back with Benjamin? Why are you not finally here? And then they had to explain to him. Well, Dad didn't, Dad didn't want to take a chance of losing Benjamin, so he said, forget you. But you got lucky. We ran out of food. We're about to start it. So he's like, all right, I guess go ahead and, you know, and take Benjamin. And then, oh, yeah, don't forget Simeon when you go back this time. He said, it's, it's no wonder these guys had problems. And, and uh, that, I, I see that when I read this story. Jacob was still mad at him for what he had done. You know, with the men of Shechem, I guess. And he's like, he can, he can rot in prison. He deserves it. But anyway, and they made ready the present against Joseph came at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand, into the house, and bowed themselves to him to the earth. And he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spake, is he yet alive? And they answered, Thy servant our father is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom ye spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. So 20 years it's been since he's seen his younger brother that he was close to, and that would be a very over, overwhelming experience. I mean, just imagine something like that, uh, the, being reunited like that. And he did. He just he couldn't handle it, and he had to go find a place to cry. And that's pretty normal. So it says, and he washed his face and went out and refrained himself, and said, "Set on bread." And they set on for him by himself, and for them by themselves, and for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled one at another. So uh, that's kind of interesting how they did that. They set them all up from oldest to youngest, which would have been, these guys have been like, how did he know? You know, oldest to youngest. And they, they marveled, but yet they're still not suspicious about Joseph. And so it says, and he took and set, sent messes unto them from before him. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. And then it stops right here and it just goes, you know, right on into the story in the next chapter. But I want to point out a few things to you here. And then I want to kind of make, uh, a life application here. So first off, notice how Benjamin, he gets like five times what his brothers got. Now, I think there's two reasons that Joseph might have done this. I think one, Joseph might have just given more to Benjamin because he was just so excited to see him. 
I mean, sometimes people just love somebody and they just want to like pour out blessings on them. You know, it's like a grand, a grandparent with their grandkid. You know, they just want to shower them with blessings because they just, they love them so much. They're so excited or whatever. And maybe that's why Joseph did that. But another thing too, he could have done. Joseph might have given Benjamin extra to watch the other brothers to see how they would react to it. You know, to see if they would do the classic, you know, Veruca, she got two, I want another one. Anybody know that line? Okay, we do that in our house all the time. It's a Willy Wonka thing, but um, my family gets that reference. But let me help the rest of you out. But, it's, you know, <laughs> brother, you know, in your house, if you give one thing to one of the kids, what usually happens? The other kid freaks out. You know, especially if you, if you gave them one piece of gum, you gave them two. You know, they got two, I want another one. You know, that, that's, that's kind of a common thing. And, you know, that's not right. We should be happy when good things happen to other people. That's one thing, a line I have said to my kids a million times. Be happy when good things happen to other people. That's the way we ought to be. A lot of people today, you know why a lot of people can't handle social media? You know why a lot of people can't handle Facebook? Because they can't stand seeing people post pictures of themselves being happy. How dare they have a better day than I had? You know, they're just bragging. They're just, you know, I mean, they just can't stand it that somebody has something good going for them. It makes them just feel inferior. Oh, man, they've got such a great life. My life stinks. And, you know, a lot of people have that problem. That's a terrible attitude. Okay, if that's you, you know, if that's all you are, I would recommend just get off social media. But I think even more important, I would recommend just trying to change your heart and start being happy when good things happen to other people. That's the way it ought to be. But, you know, selfish people, evil people, greedy people, they're not like that. And so maybe Joseph is doing this because remember how his father would give him all these good things and his brothers hated him for it and then almost killed him for it and sold him because of it. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to just bless Benjamin. I'm going to give him five times what I give the other guys and let's just see how they react to it. Let's see what they do. And so um, it, it, I think it was him trying to see how they were going to react. And one of the reasons I believe this too is we're going to see later there were other things that were done that I believe were intentional to see how they would be with their brother. For example, how he put the silver cup in Benjamin's back. And they said whoever took that, they were going to kill. And I think what they, and they probably did, he probably did that on purpose too, to Benjamin to see how the other brothers would react. And if you go and, and watch, we see, I believe it was Judah, he stuck up and said, hey, you know, kill me instead. You know, he, he did not want them Killing Benjamin, he got, you know, and so I believe that told Joseph these guys have changed. And he was thankful for that. So I think he was just kind of doing a test here. But listen, how we respond to good or bad things, you know, that happen to others, it says a lot about who we are. It says a lot about our heart. And when you do, when you get bent out of shape because good things happen to other people, just mark it down. You're a bad person. And you need to get your heart right. People just can't stand. People are always just trying to make excuses for, you know, they're, they're always uh, trying to put evil motives in people's heart. I think probably one of the reasons we've gotten some of the attacks we've got this year is because God's blessed our church this year. You know what it's called? It's called jealousy. Okay? And when you, are, when you just go and you're just attacking people for no reason, or at least no good reason. Okay, we always have a reason, right? Okay, we, we can, I mean, we, we know enough Bible, we can justify any attack we do on anybody. Okay, but where, what's the real motivation behind it? Do 
Do I just feel really led? Did I read something in the Scripture? Did the Holy Spirit lead me to attack this person? Or am I just thinking envious and jealous? You know, because I can't stand seeing good things happen to them. You know, how, how dare the Lord give them what I wanted? You know, I, I think that's a lot of people's attitude. And that's it, it says a lot. And so it should be, you know, we, we want to be somebody, I want to be somebody that gets pleasure out of good things that happen to other people. It should be our pleasure to see good things happen to others. And you know what? It should be our greater pleasure to be the source of those good things. You know, and a response that we're all familiar with when it comes to, you know, receiving thanks for something that we do. For example, you know, maybe that, you know, uh, uh, you know, like a maid or a waitress or a waiter or something, you know, often if you thank them for what they did for you, you know, they'll say something like, it's my pleasure. Okay? What are they saying? Hey, it was, it brings me joy to make you happy. You know, that, that's, that's a common response people do. And that's the title of my message tonight. It's my pleasure. That needs to be our attitude when it comes to good things happen to other people that it is our pleasure to see that happen, especially if we do it. When we do good things for other people, when we do something to make somebody's day better or somebody's life better, that should be our pleasure. Other people's joy should be our joy. You know, we ought to be like, uh, what, what, is it the Japanese who like, if they fail on their meal that they do, they like want to kill themselves or something in that culture. I forgot, I forgot what culture it is that's like that. You know, they take their service so serious that when they do a bad job, they like want to kill themselves or something. I, I forgot what, I forgot what nationality is. I, I probably better be careful. I'm going to get accused of being racist or something. But that's pretty serious, right? And, you know, that, that shows a servant's heart. You know, for example, you know, a lot of women, one thing that brings them great joy is when they make a meal and they see people just enjoying it. I mean, that's where their pleasure is. And, you know, and, and yes, they all like it if you thank them for it and tell them they did a good job. But, you know, maybe there's one, it's my pleasure. It brings them joy to, to know that the work that they put into something brought joy to somebody else. That's what they were shooting for. That was their attitude. You know, my grandma, one thing that she loved to do was to make chicken and dumplings for people. If she knew company was coming, I mean, she, she got to work on those chicken and dumplings. And it brought her great pleasure to make that. You know what? It brought me great pleasure eating it too. Which made it more of a pleasure for her. She, you know, she loved that because that was just, you know, that was her attitude. That was her heart. That's the way that we ought to be. We ought to have this attitude that bringing joy to other people is our, is where we get our joy. Most people today are looking for ways that other people can bring joy to them. But some people get their joy from doing good to other people. And that's what we're going to see with Joseph, really, in the rest of this in the rest of this book. Joseph just keeps doing good things for his brothers. His brothers who were horrible to him. His brothers who hated him, almost killed him, sold him. Joseph is just doing one good thing after another for them. And he's not just doing it because they're his brothers. It's obvious when you're reading the story, he is he's loving this. And it's not because, man, look who they got to come to now. Those guys who sold me, those guys who almost killed me, look, they've got to come back here begging for their life. That was not his attitude. He did not have that attitude in any way, shape, or form. Joseph got his joy from being good to them. And you know what? Often, 
what motive the motivation for attacking others is envy. Turn over to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Because again, we're going to see another comparison with Joseph and Jesus Christ. We've been seeing a lot of examples of this. We're going to keep seeing this with him. But it says in Matthew 27, 17, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas, or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. You want to know why the Pharisees hated Jesus so much? I mean, really, who would get mad at somebody healing somebody? You know, who would get mad at somebody raising somebody from the dead? You know, who would get mad at somebody just being loving and caring and doing kind things for other people like Jesus did? Why would that make anybody mad? Well, I can think of one reason. Because all those good things that Jesus did for others made them love him more than them. You know, all those abilities that he had caused people to be like, hey, you know, you know, the Pharisees are over here speaking, giving their wisdom. They can't do anything. They got Jesus over here performing miracles. Let's go listen to him. You know why they didn't like him? Because Jesus was stealing their audience. But really, why do you have an, you know, why do you want an audience? Do you want that audience so you can be a blessing to them? You know, if that's your desire, if somebody can be a bigger blessing to them, thank the Lord. Isn't that less that we have to do? I mean, that should be our attitude when it comes to those who are doing good, serving others, getting people saved, you know, preaching the gospel, preaching the right doctrine. Hey, whoever they're reaching, that's one less person we have to worry about. But you know, a lot of people, they're not looking, they're not preaching to just be a blessing to whoever wants to hear it. They're preaching so they can get an audience, so they can get the paychecks, so they can get the offerings, so they can get the attention, so they can get the fame, so they can get the glory. You know what they are? They're like the Pharisees. And let me tell you, you know what Pharisees do? You know what people do when they envy those who are maybe stealing their show and stealing their audience? You know what they do? They attack them. They falsely accuse them. That's what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus. You know why? Because it was because of envy. The uh, Joseph's brothers were envious of him because Jacob loved Joseph more than the rest of them. They couldn't stand that. You know, they couldn't be happy for their little brother getting a new coat. They couldn't be happy for him for those things. But it, so what do they do? Let's just get rid of them. Let's kill him. Why? Because they, they had evil hearts. And it's sad just how many people, they're, they're just so greedy, they just can't stand seeing others have something that they can't have. You know what? I mean, listen, there's a lot of houses around here that are nicer than my house. I shouldn't hate those people for it. You know, I'm glad somebody gets to live in it. At least it's not sitting there empty. But you know what? Some people are so wicked, they'd rather see the house sitting there empty than them not living, or somebody, or not even you not living in it, but somebody living in it that's not you. You know, or worse, somebody you know. Or even worse than that, somebody in your church. Or even worse than that, somebody in your family outdoing you. That's, that's how a lot of people are. That is, that is such a wicked attitude. And so these false prophets, they, they often attack people because of covetousness. Okay, Now, there's a lot of scripture we go to on this. I'm just going to go to a couple here. But in 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, when it's given the requirements of a bishop, you know what it says? Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Okay, And remember, coveting, it's not just wanting something or desiring something, but it's wanting something that's not yours. Okay, It's wanting something that belongs to someone else. And this is something that 
they're warned about, hey, when, if you're going to get a bishop, don't get somebody like this. Because covetous people, they, they will use any means to get what they want. Okay? And so, for example, a pastor, one thing that he might do if he's somebody that's not qualified and he's covetous, you know what he's going to do? He's going to try to steal other people's church members. He's going to, you know, he's going to launch phony attacks against other preachers and against other churches. He's going to lie. He's going to slander. You know why they do that? Because they want your crowd. Because they, they, they want your money. You know, or today they want your online following. You know, they, they want the people looking to you and listen to, you know, listen to themselves over somebody else. And so you know what they do? They act in very horrible ways like we see going on here with the Pharisees, like we see happen with Joseph's brothers. This is just what a lot of false prophets do. And they're, and so you got to watch out. If somebody's covetous, you know what? They're not qualified to be, they're not qualified to be a pastor. They should be fired from their church. Okay? And churches, I do believe churches should be able to fire their pastor. And if I, if I don't meet the qualifications of a bishop, if I do something to fail that, that's not time for you to leave the church. It's time for you to fire me. That's time for you to throw my backside out. Or, you know, and that, that, that's what it is. You know, that's, that's the way it ought to go. It should go. Cause you know who the head of the church is? It's Jesus Christ. And if he says, that somebody who's covetous is not, is not supposed to be a bishop, then you know what? As a church, throw them out. Okay? Otherwise, otherwise, I'm the head of the church now. Otherwise, now I'm the chief shepherd, if that's the case. Okay? I'm not the chief shepherd. Okay? I'm an under-shepherd, and God didn't give me these secret instructions and things that I only know, okay? or that only pastors know, and so they select who gets to do it and all that kind of stuff. No, it's written right here in the Bible, so anybody that knows how to read can look at it and know when you need to throw somebody out. So always understand that. Keep that in mind. People see that word rule, the bishops that rule well, and all of a sudden they think they're like a ruler, as in like an emperor. Okay? Okay, but listen, when it comes to powers, okay, even a president. Do you know a president has limited power? Okay? And a pastor has limited power. Okay? Now, my power is absolute in the areas where God gave me power. But when it goes outside that, you know, there's limits. You know, as a husband, I have power, and it's absolute in the areas where God gave me power. But when it goes to outside that area, I have no power at all. I have no power over anybody else's wife in this church because even though I'm a husband, because I'm not, you know, her husband, and therefore it's limited, and a lot of people can't figure that out. A lot of people can't figure that out, and it's pretty sad. But look what it says in Second Peter 2. It says in verse 12, But these as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Okay? It's amazing some of these people that just say horrible things about us and have no idea what they're talking about, just making stuff up. Slanderers, false accusers. Okay? They're, you know what they are? They're brute beasts is what they are. I didn't say it. Verse 13, They shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you. Okay? It's like a spot on your shirt. It makes you look bad, doesn't it? It looks bad. You know, my wife many times has commented on my appearance, you know, because I had some major flaw in my clothing or something like that, and it's embarrassing. You know, and it's, it's embarrassing when you find that out. It's like, you know, how long was I walking around like that? And let me tell you, when we've got people and we're surrounded by people like that, you know what? 
It's their spot on our church. They're a blemish and they make us all look bad. And my wife's brought that up, how, you know, when I look terrible, it's a reflection on her. And it's like, well, sorry, you know, I just don't spend enough time in front of the mirror, I guess. But having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart, they have exercised with covetous practices. Cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Covetous practices, again, they're trying to get something that's not theirs. You know why? Because they're greedy and they're selfish. This is how the Pharisees were. This is how the false false prophets are. And they just can't see and stand seeing other people have things. They want what everybody else has. And they want it for themselves and they will take it from them if they have to. And that's how Joseph's brothers were. You know, when they took, I guarantee it took them, it, they got great pleasure when they were able to take that coat and put blood all over it. You know, they would have probably loved to have kept it for themselves, but they knew they wouldn't have been able to get away with that. But you know what? If they can't have it, nobody's going to have it. Let's ruin it with all this blood. Let's tear it up. Tell our father a beast killed Joseph. It's better nobody has it than he has it. That's how some people are. That's how some, that's just how wicked some people are. And so, you have people like that who are always attacking others because of envy. And I just don't, I don't understand how you can tell me you're a loving person and you're just always mean to everybody. Just always attacking everybody. I mean, people that have nothing to do with you, people that don't go to your church, people, it's just, it's weird. It's really, it's really weird. I don't get it. But you know, there's other people out there. There's those who are loving who get joy, their joy comes from seeing good things happen to other people. Say, and again, Joseph might have just been excited, to, so excited to see his brother that he just couldn't help but knew nice things for him. I'm just going to shower him with gifts. You know, I'm just, I'm going to give. You know, I remember when we were younger, man. He used to be able to put away a lot of food. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to, I'm going to load him up with food. I don't know. Maybe that was his attitude. But you know what? People should be able to be a blessing to somebody without it creating a problem for others. Okay? Listen, it shouldn't, it shouldn't cause you grief. It shouldn't cause turmoil in your family when something good happens to somebody else. You know, if your parent, you know, like even if you're growing up, if your parents, your mom or dad does something for one of your brothers and sisters and also it's like, you know, where's my gift? You know, where's, where's this special thing for me? That's a, that's a terrible attitude. It, you ought to get pleasure from that kind of thing. Uh, Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Okay, we need a, God gets pleasure from good things happening to us in our life. That, that's one of the things that pleases God. He gets pleasure to do good in our life. God gets pleasure when he blesses us. God enjoys that because that's how he is because he's a good God. It says in Romans 9, 21, hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor, another unto dishonor? What if God, willing, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? It's God. God is the potter. Okay, We're the clay. He has power over us to do whatever he wants to with us. And did you know it might be God's pleasure for you to be poor? It might be God's pleasure for you to suffer. A little bit. That, that might bring God pleasure. But you know what? Some, some people were so self-centered. Well, you know, like, this is what would bring me pleasure. But wait a minute. We ought to ask, what would bring God pleasure? 
Because we were created for his pleasure. And that's why he made us. So God might need it. You know, think about how Job's, much Job suffered. But look at how much Job has been a blessing to the world since then. And God knew that it was going to be that way. God knew that people would find inspiration through, you know, Job, what Job went through for the rest of time. And so it, I believe it brought pleasure to God to have Job go through those things. But did it bring pleasure to Job? Absolutely not. It, you know, it was not pleasurable for him. But at the end of the day, we see even in Job's life that it was his desire to please God. And so he was okay with it. And he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That was Job's attitude because Job wanted to bring God pleasure. He wasn't just about bringing pleasure to himself. And that's the attitude we ought to have. And so another thing that's interesting about Joseph is we don't ever see Joseph looking for a thank you from his brothers. It was truly his pleasure to do good to them. Look what it says in Genesis 50. Turn over to Genesis 50. Because again, we have Joseph's brothers who these guys just, they, they just can't get right. These guys are just so evil in their hearts. They're, uh, they really were a rough bunch. Right? It's amazing God did anything with these, with these 12. I see why he did stuff with Joseph. The rest of them, I don't know why God chose to use them at all. Maybe just to prove that he's gracious and long-suffering and will save anybody. You know, maybe that was why he did it. But after everything that's happened, okay, Jacob ends up dying. And Jacob's brothers are so wicked, okay, wicked people always think that everybody's just like them, okay? People, always remember this, people who attribute evil motives to you for what you do are always revealing their heart. They think you're evil because they are evil. Okay? Just mark it down. Okay? I have people all the time accusing me, say, have all these terrible things, things I've never even thought of. Things that never even crossed my mind. And I hear them say this, and all it does is it freaks me out. These people are like, you know what? I'm going to stay away from you. You're obviously a very evil person because I never would have even thought about you know, I would never even think about using somebody the way you're accusing me of trying to use somebody. I think you're an evil person. I think you're super wicked and you're revealing your heart. You know, part of me while I withdraw myself. You know, that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. And Joseph's brethren, look what it says. It says, when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. And will certainly requite us all the evil we did unto him. Why, after all Joseph has done for them, why would they think this way? Because that's what they would have done. That's what, that's what they're, that's why they're thinking this way. Everybody thinks that everyone is just as wicked as they are. And, and, you know, and mark it down. Everybody who thinks everybody's a pedophile, everybody who thinks everybody's a reprobate and all that kind of stuff or a homo are just revealing their own heart. You freak me out. Those of you that accuse everybody of being pedophiles, stay away from my kids. Stay away from me. You freak me out. I don't even think about this stuff. Okay, I get it with Joe Biden, all right? We've all seen the videos of him sniffing kids, all right? Yeah, that, that freaks us all out. But when you don't, when you haven't even seen anybody sniff a kid or do anything weird, and you're just accusing them of stuff like that, something's wrong with you. You need, you need to stay away from me. And it's just amazing. I mean, even preachers sometimes, the stuff that they just come up with and just start accusing people of, it's like, where, dude, where do you come up with this stuff? You know where they come Out of their own evil heart, you're revealing yourself. You freak me out. 
Stay away from me. I'm scared of you. You're an evil person. And man, if, if I was Joseph, and I'm not Joseph, but if I was Joseph, I mean, after this, I'd be like, after all I've done for you guys, and you, you're still acting this way, you know what? Fine. Fine. You know what? You're going to keep acting like I'm a monster? Fine. I'm a monster. Y'all are dead. You know, that's probably what I would have done. But, you know, it's like the government, if they want to keep treating me like an outlaw, you know, because I'm not dressing like an outlaw, you know, and wearing a ma- mask, you know, like the outlaws used to do. I'm not doing all that stuff, you know, pretty, pretty soon they're going to push me, you know. I'm fine. I'll, you know, you're going to start ticketing me for stuff like that? All right. I'm about ready to, you know, fixing to break some real laws. You know, I, I don't think I'd do that, but it would, I'd, have, I'd be tempted. I'd be tempted. I said, I'm no Joseph. But it says in verse 16, they sent a messenger to Joseph saying, and look, they didn't even go say this to him. They send a messenger saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did, ev- did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. It's like, you know what? You know, what do they do instead of just going and just begging for mercy? Our father's dying words were that you will forgive us and you won't do any bad things to us. You know, please don't dishonor our father's memory by killing us, even though we deserve it. And, you know, they're, they're manipulating here. This is, this is terrible. It's kind of like the same thing. People like, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dying wish is that, you know, they would wait till the next election to replace her. Did she really say that, you know, or is this just trying to play on people's heartstrings and things? You know, it's, it's just so dumb. Verse 18, it says, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said to them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. Listen, these guys weren't dealing with a man, even though he was their brother, they weren't dealing with a man that was like them. Okay? This, this guy isn't like them. Okay? He does not return evil for evil. Okay? This Joseph, I love Joseph. He acted like a Christian. He acted like he knew a lot of New Testament passages before they were even written. He didn't give railing for railing. You know, he didn't give eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, things like that. You know, he didn't, he didn't do that. Kind of, he was forgiving. He was forgiving. You know why? You know, I believe this is the real secret to why Joseph was so forgiving. Okay? Now, I'm, I might be reading between the lines here. I can't find a verse necessarily that just proves this to you. I think the reason Joseph was so forgiving, it was not because, you know, he just had this fear of God and God revealed to him, forgive your brothers. I think he wanted to. I think Joseph wanted to love his brothers. I think Joseph wanted to forgive his brothers. I think he wanted to do good to his brothers. That was who Joseph was. And you know what? He did, he, but evil people, they assume other people are going to be just like them. But that was not Joseph. Joseph truly loved his brothers, so Joseph was anxious to forgive them. Joseph was not just anxious to forgive them, but to continue doing good to them. And if you go on, you read the rest of chapter 50, we'll get to that in a few weeks. What does he end up doing? He's like, I'm going to, let me take care of you. He's like, I'm going to take care of you. We've still got some of this famine left. I'm going to take care of you and your family. And his desire to take care of them, it wasn't to prove something to him. He wanted to do it. It brought him pleasure to do good to these men and that's the way we ought to be and what is it that brings pleasure to your life what is it that motivates you to get up in the morning 
and do what you do. You know, are you living for yourself? Is your life, does your life consist of what can I accumulate for myself? What can I do to get the people that are around me to bring me pleasure and conform to my will and to do what I want them to do? Is that what's motivating you? Or is your motivation to get up in the morning is, hey, how can I please those that I love today? Hey, you know, what could I do today, you know, to bring pleasure to my wife and to make my kids happy? What is it I can do to, you know, uh, be good and to bring pleasure to my brothers and sisters in Christ? When you come to church, do you have the attitude, you know, what's everybody going to do for me? I sure hope the pastor entertains me tonight. I hope he gives me something good. I hope he at least throws somebody in hell because I, you know, I, I like seeing people get trampled on and, you know, beat up and things like that, you know, or, or put on a good show. Or do you come to church thinking, you know what? I want to be a blessing. I wonder who I can be an encouragement to tonight. You know, that should be the attitude you have. That would be an attitude like Joseph, who had an attitude like Jesus Christ. We see in Philippians 2, 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, wherefore God, uh, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Who benefited? What did Jesus get out of going to the cross? And don't even say us. Okay, listen, that's a problem with a lot of Christians today. Okay, they act, that, that's a problem with a lot of these, you know, camp meeting, repent of your sin type preachers. They act like, man, you know, the Lord got a good deal when they finally surrendered. You know, when I find, man, you know, the, the Holy Spirit just begged me for months to get saved. I just wasn't going to do it. You know, the Holy Spirit begged me, you know, to surrender to preach. And the Lord's like, I need you. And I finally, I made the Lord's day one day when I said, fine, you know, I'll do it. You know, I'll accept salvation. You know, I'll surrender my life to you. And I've just been... Blessing the Lord ever since. Man, that, that's, I don't think that's the way that works. Okay. I, I think the way we bring, bring pleasure to God is when he's doing things for us. And let me tell you something. If you are serving God today, that is God working with you. That is God using you. You're the one getting the blessing of that. You're better off because of that. If God, you know, the fact that God's using you, okay, we're always better off. We're always going to be happier being used by God than we are by pleasing ourselves and living for the flesh. And these preachers don't want to get up and talk about all the money they could have made and how big of a millionaire they'd have been if they hadn't served God, you know, are, are clowns and are frauds. They just say that to justify their very large salaries that they're getting. I've been making twice as much. You know, I hadn't surrendered to be a preacher, be a pauper like I, I you know, that, that, no, that's, that's a lie. Okay. When God uses you, you benefit from that. And it brings God pleasure to do that good to you. It is not you doing good to God that's bringing him pleasure. It's God doing good to you. And you know what? I believe all of us are going to enjoy eternity. But you know who I think is going to enjoy eternity more than anybody? Is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. When he's able, when we're all in heaven enjoying the pleasures of heaven, we're going to know it and he already knows it. We're all there enjoying that because of him. And it was his desire to do that. You know why? Because he's a good God, because he's a loving God. It should be our goal, if you're the right kind of person, to 
just do things to make other people happy. You know, as a pastor, you know, it does. It one of the most satisfying things for me is when I can tell that people are being blessed from the preaching and the singing and the service. I enjoy that. I enjoy, you know, a lot of the things that uh, I, I see people enjoying in the church, you know, because if I have any part in that and it's bringing people pleasure, then it's like, you know, success. I don't want a church full of miserable people. You know, that that's not going to be satisfying to me. But, you know, I think some pastors would be fine with that as long as you all give your tithe, you know. You know, you're not supposed to give to you know, you say give to it hurts. I say give to it feels good. You know, all those things. So like, just always trying to get your money. Always just trying to see what they can get out of you. Hey, why don't, you know, pastors should be trying to see, what can I do for other people? What can I do to be a blessing? And that was Joseph's attitude. That is what brought him pleasure. And that should be your attitude. If that's not your attitude, if tonight you go home on Facebook and you see somebody posted something good that happened to them and it, and it makes you mad at all, you know what you need to do? You need to start praying, Lord, change my heart. I am wicked. You get all bent out of shape every time you hear about something good happening to somebody else and you're just, you know, they just must have sold their soul to the devil. You know, when good things happen to us, it's a blessing from the Lord. When it happens to our enemies, they sold their soul to the devil. That just shows wicked, evil heart. Let's not be that way. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Dear God, I pray this message was a help and a blessing. Dear God, I pray you'll help all of us to uh, have the right kind of attitude when it comes to uh, good happening to other people. Help us to get pleasure from it. And I pray you'll uh, just make it a, the, all our missions, Lord, to do whatever we can to be pleasing, uh, bring pleasure to other people. In your name we pray. Amen.